welcome and thanks for tuning in to Real People, Real Talk. Relevant conversations that take you from surviving to thriving. This is the podcast that goes there. My name is Paul Calco and I'm your host. Now let's talk. Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening. Whenever you are listening to this, thank you so much for tuning in. But here's why you should listen. Today, we're having an international conversation. Yes, an international conversation about culture, diversity, and unity. And we're going to talk about a few things that we can do to improve race relations um, in America and also in the church. So let's get to it. Normally, I would introduce my guests, but variety is the spice of life, and I'm going to switch it up. And they're going to introduce themselves in order of youngest to oldest. Let's go. Hi, everyone. My name is Annette Bernal. Um, I am from Houston, Texas, uh, but I was born in Mexico, and uh, currently I'm a student at the University of Houston. Um, I hope to be a middle school math teacher after I graduate in a year and a half. Hi, my name is Sylvia. Um, my Korean name is Seung Sun. Um, I just graduated from my Doctor of Physical Therapy program at Washington University in St. Louis. Um, I got my undergrad degree at Tulane University in New Orleans, so that's how I know Paul. Um, I was working with the Baptist Collegiate Ministry there, um, working with international students, um, also through Tulane International Society and at the Office of International Students and Scholars. And this is a passion of mine, and I'm really excited to be here. That means good afternoon in Yoruba. My name is Deji Akindeleyalo, and I hail from West Africa, Nigeria. I came to the United States at the age of 10, grew up in New York City, and I went to undergrad at a small um, institution called Rensselaer Polytechnic Institute in Troy, New York, which is upstate, and I obtained my master's from the University of Alabama in Tuscaloosa. Okay, I see how y'all doing doing awesome things. And so we're going to reverse the order and go from oldest to young, starting with you, Desi. And uh, you answered a few of the, a few of these things already, but I want all of you just tell us where you're um, originally from. Um, how old were you when you came to America? And just really, I know I'm throwing a lot at you, but you, but I, I trust y'all. But what was it like for you when you first came here? No, I appreciate that, Paul. So uh, again, like I said, I, I was born in Nigeria. Um, Southwest region of Nigeria in a, in a, in a state called Ondo State. Um, predominantly, the Yoruba tribe comes from that area. So again, there's many tribes across Nigeria, over 150. Um, so when you have those tribes, it also comes with different dialects and different languages um, that comes with them. So um, I came here, like I said earlier, at the age of 10. Um, and you said, you know, how was that when I first came here? It was different, right? Because again, coming from Nigeria, coming from a town in Nigeria, um, and with a very strict parent, uh, parent, I had limited access to to the rest of the world as far as what I was able to listen to or what I was able to hear, right? So, in Nigeria, the only thing that we saw were Nigerians, at least in in the area that I grew up. So then, coming to America in in the nineties, then I'm seeing all the races and 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 culture and and stuff like that. So it was a shock. It was it was pretty much like, okay, I've made it now because. This is what I've seen on television. These are the people that I've seen that were actors in, in, in the shows that I grew up watching, the, the, the few of them that I grew up watching, the boxing matches, right? I didn't, I, didn't, I didn't know many black boxers back then. 
So when I came to America, I'm like, oh man, these are those superstars that I've always seen on television. They actually, they actually are real. They actually live here. And that was also the first time that I experienced seeing snow. Didn't think that this cold stuff came out of the sky, right? We didn't have that, right? So again, a lot of these things were new. Um, the time I grew up in, there weren't any local airports. So we didn't have planes flying over skies. So that was also a shock to see this many um, air traffic um, happening overhead. That wasn't something that I, that I grew up with. It wasn't a natural occurrence for me growing up. So all of that was a shock to my system for sure. I think for me, um, my experience was a little different. Um, I was born and raised in South Korea until I was 12 years old. Um, that's when I moved with my mom, my uncle, my aunt, and my cousin to New Mexico. Um, so being a 12 year old is already really difficult, right? You're a teenager and you're trying to figure out who you are as a person. And, you know, you're trying to learn how to fit it in with your peers and then, you know, throw in the mix, um, being in a new country at that point, um, you know, just, uh, where you don't speak the language at all. And, um, and you're, um, you have no idea about their culture, obviously. And, um, that, that was a lot more difficult, I would say. Um, but you know, I think God brought some really good American friends in my life that really, um, helped me to learn English, which was a huge blessing and, um, started taking me to a local church. And, um, I knew about Jesus, but that's when I first heard about having relationship with Jesus. And so that was a huge testimony, you know, this friend of mine who just her and her family just showed me so much love, um, you know, regardless of my race and my ethnicity, just expecting nothing in return, just show me Christ's love. And, you know, when I was so confused about who am I, am I Korean? Am I American? Where am I? You know, and then them just just um, showing me Christ's love. I think that really got me thinking like, okay, maybe my identity doesn't have to belong in um, what country I'm from. You know, my identity belongs in Christ. So that's a really cool testimony how God used my immigration experience to bring me to him. That's amazing, Sylvia. Um, Well, I was born in Mexico and my family and I moved here whenever I was three years old but I am the youngest in my family. So I have four older siblings. Um, I think the largest age gap, like my oldest brother is 13 years older than me. So he was already in high school. Um, I was, I was obviously too young to really be impacted by the move here. Um, just cause when you're a kid, everything is new and exciting, you know, nothing really bothers you, but I can only imagine how my older siblings must have felt what they experienced um, because they were much older than I was. And whenever we first moved here, we were actually living in my aunt's garage for a time. Um, And my dad wasn't able to come with us right away. I remember um, looking out the window sometimes and wondering like when my dad was going to come home from work. Um, But really he was still in Mexico. Um, So other than that, I mean, I, I, wouldn't say that I had as big of an impact impact from the move as um, Sylvia and Deji did, but um, I know that for sure my parents and my siblings did. 
but I'm grateful to be here in this country. So I know it's early in the conversation, but something I want to kind of bring up, and I'm pretty sure y'all can attest to this, but I think some people out there just need to know that when you think of the Asian culture, like there's just more than Chinese people. Like there's Korean, uh, there's Vietnamese and so many more, or the Latina culture is rich. It's not just Mexico, it's El Salvador, it's uh, Venezuela with different dialects as well. And also in, in, in Africa, like a lot of people, and sometimes one of, one of my pet peeves is like, yeah, I went on a mission trip to Africa. Bro, what country? There are many countries in Africa, so put some respect on their name. So just curious, man. Um, Annette, what do you miss the most? I know you came over here young, so um, we'll see how your answer goes. But what do you miss the most about Mexico? Yeah, so even though I was young, we still visited um, Mexico at least once a year, I would say. Uh, so I remember I was feeling really excited to go there, of course, to see my family, all of my mom's side of the family is still in Mexico. So, um, I know that now, um, being an adult, it's, I've seen the impact it's had because my dad's side of the family lives here in Houston. So we're all really close, but my mom's side of the family who is still in Mexico, now it's kind of awkward when I go and visit. Cause it's like, Hey, what do we talk about? But um, I think that growing up, that was one of the things that like, I'm so excited to see my cousins in Mexico. Um, I love the weather there. It's hot, but it's a good hot, especially in the nighttime. Um, there's always a really like great breeze. Um, so I just have a, a lot of great memories of being in Mexico, being with my cousins, going at 11 o'clock at night to get some food and sitting outside at the restaurant and just enjoying the breeze. Um, it's just always a good time when I'm there. And of course, when I'm there, it's like a vacation. I don't have to worry about school. I don't have to worry about um, like how much money we're spending, you know, so it's always a good time being there. But because at times I've thought, I wish I lived there. Like I have so much fun there, but I know that it's way different visiting than living there. Um, but yeah, I think that pretty much sums up. Oh, of course, also the um, the mountains. There's mountains in where I'm from in Mexico. And it's just, I love looking out of my window and being able to see the entire city at nighttime. It's just a bunch of lights um, and it's just beautiful. It's really beautiful over there. That's amazing. Thanks so much for for sharing that. And and, and next we're gonna kick it over to Nigeria. And bro, I thank you because you you put me on some game. I didn't realize there was so many different tribes even within uh one country. So uh, what do you miss the most about Nigeria? Oh man, uh like you like you said, uh Annette, uh I think a lot of us that were born outside of the United States that goes back, I think we get a different feel, right? It's it's, it's a vacation, you have disposable income, so the lifestyle that you live when you come back is completely different than what the majority of the people that are actually there. Um, on living, right? So we have to be able to separate the two. But for me, I think that what I miss the most is this relationship, right? And I'll tell you a little bit more about what I mean by that. In Nigeria, we have, like I said, different tribes, but our ways are still somewhat similar. Our languages are different. Some of our foods might differ slightly, but our ways, right? The foundation that we're built on is still the same, right? So for example, the way I was raised is a communal upbringing, right? I, I, this person can discipline me. That person can discipline me. I can discipline this person, right? It's a community. We all, we all are in this together. I think in America, there's this, re, there's this need to have to assimilate to the weight of America. That's what they always say. If you're not going to accept how it is in America, hey, man, you can leave, right? 
that's the same because you, you kind of have to fit some sort of a weird mode. It's got to be, you got to fit the program. If you don't fit the program, then you are on the outskirt. And if you're on the outskirt, then there, you have no business being in this country. Because of that, it's, it's, it's causing you to have to strip your true identity, right? The true, your true you, because you have to try to fit a mold that America says this is what it is in this land. When you do that and you can't be your true self, it's hard to get deep in relationship because you're having to tiptoe and be something else slightly different than what you are in your natural element. So, for example, let's say I was in Nigeria right now. I would pop over to Paul's house without calling Paul because that's just how we do it in Nigeria. I say, Paul, I'm outside. Open the door. Hey, Paul, I'm dropping my kid off. I'm not going to ask Paul. I'm going to just say I'm dropping my kid off. He's going to play in your house until I come back. Because we all speak that same language, not, not the verbal language, but the way of life, right? But here in this country, you kind of have to say, okay, how is Annette? Is Annette going to be okay with that? Do I need to go ahead and get on Annette's calendar to schedule a play day with our kids? Or for me to come over and watch game with her? Or for me to come and watch a, a sports with her? So you have to like find, it's, it's the beauty and the curse of this country, right? It's a melting pot. It has all the different ways and, and you know, the people and the background and the culture. So you cannot approach it like the same way that we approached it in Nigeria, where it was this harmony because we were almost very similar to each other. We understood each other. We got decades and centuries of time with each other. So we, we, we marched the same beat. It's a little different here. And when you have that and when you can't be your true authentic self, it hurts relationships. And that's real. And before we go to South Korea, just want to throw this in there. So are you African-American or am I African-American? Are we both African-American? So, so I'm a dual citizen, right? So I always pull whichever card is more beneficial for me whenever I need it. That's a joke. Uh, but, uh, but again, my, my kids are considered you know, African-American. But for me, because I was born there, I'm a naturalized American, right? So, but again, on the, on the actual census, if I have to, I, ha- I have no other choice because I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm an American citizen. I do check African-American. But if you talk to me and ask me, and that's why there's always that name, right? And I always say our name is important because that's who our identity is. And that's the same reason why my children will bear Nigerian name. There is no F, buts, and maybe about it because they must know what the identity is. Sylvia, let's hear from you, man. What do you miss the most about South Korea? Well, the obvious is the people, right? Uh, my family's still there. Uh, my dad is still there. All my relatives are still there. Um, and then I still have friends from elementary school that I keep up with. And, you know, we, you know, by the grace of technology, we're still able to stay in touch all those years. And um, it, I miss them a lot. Um, definitely food. Right. I mean, obviously there's going to be, there's Korean food pretty much every city you go, but it's just not the same, you know, like you, you can get pretty much any really good Korean food from any like street food vendors they have. Um, I miss that a lot. Um, and then just the convenience, I would say, um, especially in bigger cities like Seoul, um, their public transportation system is amazing. So you don't have to ever drive or worry about traffic. And so you can just kind of, you know, ride the subway and go wherever you want, you know, take, take the bus. Um, you know, I think that's 
what I miss a lot. And another thing, um, I guess that really surprised me was, um, how much they care about the environment. I actually missed that a lot. Uh, so whenever I, uh, you know, I came here, I was shocked because people weren't recycling. Like there was no concept of recycling wherever I was living. And I was like, what do you mean? <laughs> and I, I just love that um, Korean people are very resourceful and, um, um, you know, they, they care a lot about, you know, their um, environment because they believe it's their responsibility to hand on a good environment to the future generation. So that responsibility about that, um, I do miss a lot. Mm. all that is good and let's let's go there and let's let's keep it real and some of you guys already alluded to this but just want to ask the question directly what has been some of the struggles of coming to america whoever wants to go first i can kick it off um i think for me is um i think i alluded to it earlier with the cultural assimilation right so we are still a minority group in this country um and 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 the majority right the way that the system is built is that you know we need to kind of assume their values their their behaviors their beliefs um because they are still the majority and there are the people in power and they're the ones that's writing the policies and laws right it's it's just it's just what it is either you want to ignore it or not um but again when you say struggles I, i think it would be just seeing the blatant systemic racism compared to in Nigeria, where we have our flaws way more than this country, right? But it's not—it's different. It's not—it's not racism. It's—we have—we have some issues with, with colorism, you know, with darker Africans to lighter Africans, right? Thanks. But again, you can go back, right? You can go back hundreds of years, right? And then obviously a lot of that stem from colonization, right? So when you colonize people and you and you re- rewrite their thinking and their mindset. You start to have brothers and sisters fight one another and kill one another because the people that once owned them told them that they should, right? And they brainwashed them, unfortunately, sometimes using the Bible and religion to justify their cause. Um, so so when, when you think about that, it's just, it's just a different, uh, I, I would say, a place that we're in, something that most Africans are not used to and they don't have a lot of knowledge on. Um, as far as racism, because African American is African American history is not taught outside of America. But there's a lot of people that are not from America that's coming to America. So when you have that, they don't understand the struggle because they never grew up in it. The school systems don't teach that outside of America. But then you have this influx of people coming in that looks like you, Paul, that's looking at you, Paul, and saying, What's your problem? Why are you complaining? Because they don't understand it. They were never taught it. So they don't understand why you're crying. They don't understand why you can't strap your, you know, strap your boots up and, and get to business and be successful just like everyone else is, right? So I think a little bit of it is, of it is, is lack of, of knowledge. It's a little bit of ignorance. But I think as brothers and sisters, no matter who you are, we got to be patient with one another. We got to be willing to teach people, right? Because I think a lot of people just don't get it. I mean, my parents are the same way. I still had a conversation with my mom. I walk with my mom every morning, right, with my daughter. And even still, we were talking about neighborhoods. My sister just moved from South Carolina, and she's telling me that, you know, they're looking at these neighborhoods, and they're trying to get into the 8, 9, 10 school zones for their, for, their, for their kids. But then when they went to go check out a house, a black family came out. And my mom looked at my sister and goes, you sure you want to live here? I'm like, mom, it's a black family just like us, right? 
But yeah. in her mind, remember, she grew up her whole life in Nigeria. She sees what America depicts black family as. And that hurts the immigrants in America as well. They carry that same mindset and that same interpretation of black America. Why? Because they don't know exactly what led to where they are today. They don't know the history. So we have to be patient with them, especially our immigrants, our older immigrants, and we have to educate them. Because if not, right, white America is going to end up educating them. And they're going to take exactly what they see on mass media, which sometimes is very skewed. Um, so there's the obvious things, right? The language, the culture, right? Um, you know, I did learn English in school, but it's just like learning a foreign language at school here, right? If you learn Spanish and American, um, schools, you're not going to be fluent. You can have like, you know, basic conversations, but, uh, when I got here, it was just one of those things. Like I had to learn English to survive and make friends and, um, get around my way around the school. And, um, another thing, you know, culture is interesting because it's not just expressed in the things that we can see, but oftentimes it's more about the things that you can't see. So, you know, even things like, um, maybe like, uh, you know, slangs, uh, pop culture reference jokes. Um, I remember having the hardest time understanding and you know all my friends around me would laugh and then I'd be that you know awkward person like you know kind of like chuckling like trying to pretend like I know what they're talking about and have like zero idea um but yeah I mean you know especially as a teenager that really really um impacted me a lot just feeling like I never belong um so that that was huge and um you know, but there's actually a bigger um, struggle of the uncertainty as an immigrant. Um, so just like never knowing when you're going to be no longer welcome in this country wow. and just feeling like you can be kicked out of this country anytime the government decides that you need to leave. And so, you know, um, it it can be. Even just the things like, um, you know, even if you're a legal immigrant, um, you know, like with a visa, which is basically a permit for you to enter into this country. Um, I remember, um, you know, always getting nervous whenever I would go to the American embassy in Korea to get our visa renewed, even though we had all the right documents you know, showing that we were, you know, doing all these legal things and everything, um, you know, the consulate can just say, nope, you're not getting a visa because he was having a bad day. Right. And so not even that, but just, I feel like, uh, my brother and I, we had to structure our future, um, in terms of, you know, major in college and career paths based on uh, whether or not it's going to help us and our chances of being able to stay in the country. So like, for example, um, so there is something called, so you get a student visa for you to be a student in the country and which expires right after you are done with your studies. 
And um, for you to be able to stay afterwards, you have to apply for a job here, which, you know, again, there's that whole discrimination about, well, you're an immigrant, so I would like to hire an American over an immigrant, right? But then, um, so let's say you did somehow found a job, right? And um, there's something called optional practical training, um, which gives you a year of you working in the States. Um, and then once that's done, right? Oh, side note, uh, if you have a major that falls into the STEM category, right? The science, technology, engineering, and mathematics, you get three years of OPT. So, which was one of the reasons why I decided to major in neuroscience instead of psychology because neuroscience counted as science, but psychology didn't. So um, that was, you know, that's the small way that it can influence our lives. And then, so let's say you got through, you got your job and then you work through your OPT and then you are done with your uh, OPT time. And then you still want to stay in the States right, then you have to apply for a job that can sponsor you to get an employment visa. Now, if you want to get a sponsorship from a company to get get you an employment visa, you'll have to apply to a company that is big enough to actually financially afford the sponsorship. So actually, a lot of startups or small businesses cannot do that. That's too expensive for them. And so um, on top of that discrimination that's already there of, oh, you're an immigrant, there's that other, there's that bigger barrier of finances. And um, so, you know, when looking at jobs, you know, my brother had to kind of like limit his job search process into the big four companies in accounting who can give him that job sponsorship. Annette, man, let's hear from you. What has been some of the struggles of um, coming to America? Yes. So since I did come as a child or pretty much a toddler, um, my struggles were more, I would say, like social um, and I guess like this wasn't something that was actually taught to me, but I, I guess as a young child was able to like observe it and recognize, oh, um, this is a thing, um, without actually knowing it was anything, but basically like, um, I always felt like excluded, um, in my schools. So, uh, I grew up in like the, a district where there's, I mean, it's pretty diverse, but it's still, it's like white majority. Um, and I always felt really like excluded. I felt like I didn't like really belong, um, because I didn't look like the girls in my school, um, I didn't wear the same things that they wore, uh, and just like things like that. And I didn't, back then I didn't know it was because like, I'm a different race than them, but growing up, I was able to like recognize it more, you know? Um, and I'm not saying obviously that like all white Americans are like this, but growing up, it was something that I experienced a lot, um, where they were just very clicky. Um, they just stuck with their own group of friends and like, if I wanted to join, it wasn't mm, like they never rejected me, but they also never really welcomed me. Um, and so that was something that like as a kid, I experienced um, from moving here. And then mm, later into my high school years, uh, I also experienced uh, the struggles with like 
the immigration process. So my family and I, when we moved here, my all of my siblings and I were on a visa dependent on my mom's work visa. Um, but my one of my brothers got married, became a citizen, petitioned for my mom's um, green card. And when she did get her residency, it um, made my visa like out of status since her work visa wasn't a thing anymore. I was unprotected legally. Um, and so that was a whole thing. Um, basically, I had to try and find a visa independent from my parents. Um, so the only option that I had was getting a student visa. So I could get a student visa from going to private school, but we all know that that's crazy expensive. And um, another way to get a student visa is obviously going to um, college. I was a junior, and so that summer I actually dropped out of school. I got my GED and applied for a student visa so I could start college at Lone Star Community College. And it worked out, right? Um, but then another thing is that it takes forever for you to get whatever you applied for. So even though it was like the process was started for me to get my student visa, I was going to have to wait like basically a year to get it. So, and in that, in that year, it's like awkward because like, you're not illegal, but you, you can't really walk around like you are illegal. Um, so it was just like weird for me. And since I had to wait, I couldn't even start school, like college until I got the student visa. So I was going to have to wait however long till I get that. And so I decided to go back, um, to high school and finish my senior year but halfway through that year the student visa came earlier than I expected and so then I had to obviously I, I wasn't going to just not keep going to high school so I kept going to high school but I had to go to college or else my visa would get revoked so I had to just balance like high school classes with like AP classes and then also doing college after school. Um, so that was just one thing that like I've had to experience with my family, just noticing all the different like, I, I don't even know how, how they're called, but just like those areas where our immigration system doesn't think for, you know? Like how is it that, and another thing, when I went to college, like actual college in my freshman year, um, I was having to go through international student orientation. And yes, I am not from America, but I basically am. I have been living here my whole life. And I just felt, I felt excluded there too, because it's like, I'm not like you guys. Like, um, yeah, I'm not, I'm from a different country, but really like, I'm not really an international student. So I felt like a liar at the same time. It was just like really odd having to go through all of that. But I mean, it was, it worked out. So, but I would say that those were definitely the biggest struggles I've had, um, just dealing with the immigration process. I'm now a permanent resident. So praise the Lord. Paul knows all about that. He was with me through that whole entire process. Um, but that whole process was really stressful. Um, it brought a lot of like pain and worry to my family, but it also showed me how to like rely on God, you know, trusting that God's going to take care of it. Like I, there were obviously times where I thought I was going to have to go back to Mexico. I had a boyfriend at the time and his family was like, you can marry him. And I was like, no, thank you. Um, but yeah, so 
it I mean there were a lot of lessons learned but um yeah I think that's it <laughs> man thank you so hey, much Paul, if you don't mind if you don't mind me chiming in uh, two things came to mind um when you were talking to that um there's a quote um, that's from a, a woman by the name of Verna Myers. She's a diversity and inclusion expert. Um, when you were talking about some of um, some of the friends of, I think, some of your classmates early on in your life. Um, so she said, diversity is being invited to the party. Inclusion is being asked to dance, right? You kept saying, like, they didn't say this, but you didn't really fit in, right? But again, if they're not asking you to dance, uh, is that an inclusive environment, right? So that's that's number one. Well, that's all for today, but thank you so much for tuning in. Part two will release tomorrow on Tuesday.